Well, I pray today the Holy Spirit, like I pray, will speak to us. He'll speak, he'll scream at you today. He'll scream loud so you can hear. Jesus said, if you've got ears to hear what the Spirit's saying, you'll hear it clearly. And so my prayer is the Holy Spirit will, will, uh, will, will, will speak to you how you need it. Maybe you need it as a megaphone, maybe you just need it as a whisper. Um, and so that's my prayer. And the Holy Spirit has, every time we come into his presence, every time we are, we, we are consumed with him, he has something to say. He wants to dialogue with you today. He's going to speak through me. And so what I, what I think is really good is, you know, like sometimes you can just focus on what I'm saying, but, but have an ear for what the Holy Spirit wants to say. You know, we're having a discussion at, at our life group. I love my life group. We're having this incredible time just on Wednesday night. Went for about three hours with so much life. And, uh, and we didn't even really, it was sort of, our life was, was you know, broken up in our house into different groups. It was just what the, obviously God wanted to do. And, and then we started dialoguing about what um, Danielle was sharing, what she heard. And what she heard, actually I didn't say, what she came up with was not what I said. It was what the Spirit spoke through her. And that's the key. Because that's the living truth. That's the living word that God wants you to, to, to engage with and process. But before we get going, I want to throw out a disclaimer right at the start. Okay, so there is no misunderstanding. So my disclaimer is this, that I am not against the ongoing study of Scripture. I support it 100%. The learning process I am a believer in hugely. Okay, Because I have heard, not, not recently, but you, know, you, you want to be clear, I'm a heart and mind guy. You know, I've heard, oh, Greg Simner, he's just a heart guy. He doesn't value the mind. I value the mind. Okay? We need the mind. God gave us a mind. But what I do understand and what I've come to learn is there a divine order in which we are to learn. That's where we get messed up. There actually is a divine order that God comes to us. The Bible says understanding starts in the heart first. And so there is a process that true biblical knowledge moves through. And Paul teaches us that and we're going to look at that today. He says this thing called real or true knowledge. So what's the difference between real and true knowledge and just knowledge? So we're going to unpack that. Jesus said, move in the spirit and truth. He is the truth. And so it's a, it's a dual thing that, that's meshed together. And so I just want to say that, say that because what we're going to look at today is this tension that exists between you think you know the scriptures but you're in error. And he says this to men that can regurgitate and relay back books of the Bible. So on one aspect you have a camp that would say they know the scriptures because they can speak it, talk about it, tell you where it is. And Jesus comes and says, you don't know the scriptures at all. You're in error. Not only do you not know the scriptures, you do not know the power of God. How many people know that people that have studied for a long time, have you, have you, if you were to tell someone that, that has studied for years and years and years and has lots of numbers behind their name that they didn't know what they studied, they'd be a little bit upset. Anybody agree with that? They so who do you think you are telling me that I don't know what I've studied? They took it to the ultimate end and they nailed them to a cross because of it. So there's a war that rages between what we might think we know to be true and to be real and, and, and is biblical and actually what possibly true biblical understanding and knowledge actually is. Because we worship a person. 
I don't worship a book. The truth that sets me free is a person, not a book. So I have to find the illumination, the living truth that's in here. Not just information. Knowledge that what? Puffs me up and makes me arrogant and stroll around like a proud rooster. No, truth that actually initially breaks me, humbles me and makes me walk in humility, grace and love and actually offers hope to a real world. Why? Because I know the person beyond the book. I know the person that the book speaks about that leads me to truth. You ready? Yeah. Same when I got up, it. I had it all sort of sorted out. I thought I did, and then God woke me up yesterday morning. And I don't know if you ever like this, but you know, I could just see the message. It was like almost like God was typing on my laptop. I was like, get up, get up. You know, so you got to when you when you here's a little thing. When you when you know that's happening, you've got to get up. Don't lie there in bed. When God starts to speak, oh, you know, this is me. I'll remember that when I wake up. You know what happens? You forget, eh? Get up, write it down. It's God speaking. And allow that and meditate on, on that sort of thing. But uh, if you weren't with us last week, I spoke about this battle that is on for you and I to come into the fullness that God has for us as his people, that God has ordained the fullness of truth for us to come into and understand and experience now and in the future. There is way more than just beyond this existence for the church that God would have us come into. Set your minds on the things above so it empowers the now. The very motivation. God invites you to die to yourself. How do you die to yourself? You have a revelation of something bigger than you on a future that actually that very revelation that is the life source that enables you to die to yourself. It's worth doing. The cost is great, but it's worth going through the cost. Why? Because I'm moving towards something that I can see and it's real and living and it's transforming me. Does that make sense? God has this truth for us that he wants, but there is a war that rages between two kingdoms. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. And the one who leads the kingdom of darkness is passionate about us never entering into what God has for us. So our enemy's main purpose is to deceive us, that's what I said last week, from ever receiving our ultimate inheritance, which is the closest, I believe, which is, and this is going to sound very simple, but it's incredibly deep, it's him. Our ultimate inheritance is the most intimate place that you can be, which is beside him and his son. Where I personally believe that the bride of Christ will minister to the Father in a future spot. Have a think about this. God is this incredible person of love, isn't he? His whole being, he is love. So there are people, we know there are people that are not going to be with him in the future. They're going to a place the Bible calls hell and then a lake of fire. External damnation, gone. Do you think that hurts him? Do you think that breaks his heart? Sometimes it doesn't break our heart. Why? Because we don't love like him. It breaks his heart. I believe the bride is going to minister to the Father's heart because of that very love and compassion that he has because he knows a whole lot of people that he created that he would have preferred love to chosen him, haven't he? He loves it extremes that we don't even get close to. And there is an inheritance for us 
the hairy legs, whatever you want to call them, the demonic, does not want us to receive and walk in. I said this last week. What if he come to steal, kill and destroy your inheritance? He can't take what Jesus did on the cross, but he can steal you, your inheritance from under your feet. And you know what? If you're a passive believer, he's probably doing it right now. If your relationship is one of apathy and just passivity, you know, I just sort of come and go, but I'm really, well, to be honest, it's probably being robbed right on from your feet and you don't even know it. And so the Bible says, Paul says, therefore prepare your minds for action. It's an active thing. The kingdom of God, violent people take hold of it in their hearts and their minds. They're on a pursuit of truth. They're on a pursuit of the presence. They're on a pursuit of coming into the fullness of Him. They're on a pursuit of people loving others and opening up and sharing with others. It's not something you sit... Let me tell you this. If Christianity is boring, you either don't know the person, you either don't know Him if Christianity is boring, the gap between you is obviously massive between him and you, you, you you've prayed a prayer, you've, you've let him in, but the intimacy between you and him is, is, is a huge distance, or you're stuck in religion. Christianity is not boring. Being a Christian is the most life-transforming experience you can experience. I mean, I don't know, knowing the creator of the universe, how can that be boring? When the creator speaks to you, changes you, when you can lay hands on a person and see in front of your eyes things shift and move, how is that boring? Religion's boring. Coming to services can be boring if you don't know the person. And the enemy is trying to stop you and I from knowing the person. And you can think you know him because you know the Scriptures, but really you don't know him at all because... You just don't. And in my heart today is that I hope today the whole of God, Father, just, just smash some of the mindsets, some of the thinking. May we walk in a sense of understanding, God, that we don't have it all down. That we are blinded to a measure. That there is more. That, it, that, that we don't want to have this theological, academic experience of you. We want to have a li- real, life-changing transformational experience of you where we can honestly say I know him, let me tell you about him I'm compelled to tell you about him I can't keep shut there's too much going on inside to stay shut but the enemy comes and he comes to rob you from understanding who he's called you to be he sends an arsenal attack on our minds and if you get close to coming into more, guess what? You better put your armour on and get ready because there's going to be an assault come to try and block it, to try and get you off course. Especially if you've got a voice, a big voice. You know, in the USA sent in their troops into Iraq in the war recently, one of their key strategies was to take out Iraq's key communication hub. See, they knew if they could take out that communication hub that it would cause um, incredible uh, miscommunication, uh, you know, confusion. What's going on? We can't talk. What's happening around? And within days, that war was, was really won in the fullness of that. And we know it was sort of ongoing and bits of people popping up here and there. But 
the overall taking of, of Iraq was done in a few days. Why? Because the Americans figured out they can take out the communications hub, they can mess it all up. The enemy knows that if he can take out your mind, if he can, if he can attack your mind, if he can send you frequencies and different things to, to, to get you right here, have you thinking incorrectly, carrying wrong mindsets, wrong understanding, then he's got us. And he actually has the control. See, we think, oh, we know Jesus, where we're in control. Really? Now, there's a yes and there's a no to that. Are we moving into the authority and the power that God has for us? Because that's someone that has control, isn't it? We talk about we're all overcomers by faith. And yeah, you are positionally. But are you overcoming? That's whether you're an overcomer or not. You can't just, it's me like saying, you know, I'm a soccer player but I never got on the, on the park. No, but I'm, I play for Liverpool but I never turn up and put on the red kit and play for Liverpool. I can, I can imagine that and, and, and live in that and go, oh, it's so good but I never get on the park. So you can't just say, oh, I'm an overcomer and this is all good. No, an overcomer overcomes. They are not overcome. And the church needs to be overcomers. We sing about it. Are you overcoming the struggles? Are you overcoming? Are you coming into a greater depth of knowing the Christ? How deep is this love? Has your revelation of love increased in the last five months? Do you know him more? Do you know the person? Or do we have this intellectualized, academic understanding that puffs the church up, thinking it's got all that, and we really have nothing? And the enemy wants you to play that game. He's right in there playing the game. Look at you, oh yeah, you know so much more. Who do people say I am, Jesus said. Not tell me what you know. Who do you say I am in the back? Elijah. What about you over in the back? A good teacher. Wrong. Although he was a good teacher. Who do you say I am? A prophet. He turns to the closest people to him. Now who do you say I am? What's he trying to discern? Who knows him? Who just knows about him? Who's caught up in miracle signs and wonders and all the flash sexy stuff of ministry, but who's actually chasing the nature and of the nature of the Father? Who really, really knows me? Who's building on me, not on stuff? Are you building on me, Greg? I will build my church. I and my, the most powerful words in that whole statement. Who do people say that I am? And we have an enemy that wants to come and fill that question. This, 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 this and this. So do we know him? There is a battle. I've called this today battle zone. Within days the US had control and our enemy knows if he can win the battle of the mind by deception or blindness, which causes confusion and division, then he has the control. The more deceived or blinded we are towards God's absolute truth, the more control our enemy has. 1 Peter 1.3 Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of the Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.1-6 
Paul talks about, he says, I'm afraid that as Eve was deceived in the garden by the craftiness, you've been deceived about the, uh, the simplicity and the pure devotion to the Christ. He says, I'm afraid the enemy's come to your minds and he's deceived you from what it's really all about. Knowing him. That's why our vision statement, our direction, our purpose, our process had to change. Because it's about knowing Him. Everything is an outworking of knowing Him. There's a lot of stuff happening in the body of the Christ which isn't really so much about knowing Him, it's about us fulfilling something we think He's called us to do. Knowing Him. He said, I think the enemy's deceived you from knowing Him. There's so much we can do. Is it of Him? How well do you know Him? and what you've been invited to participate of, not only now, but in the future. And I've got to put my hand up and say, you know what? I had a portion of knowing him, but he took me on a journey, and you've heard this over the last 18 months, where he just enlarged that. And that's caused change and transformation in, the, in me as a person, in the way I view the church and the leading of the church. I really can only lead myself now and pray and hope like mad that you hear something that you may want to get on board with. Whereas before I was trying to figure out strategies and leadership skills and read this book and read that book, read this, all the 10 steps to build the church. All man-centered stuff. And all it does is it gets people busy. We're called to be busy building the kingdom, but from the right round, right, that the right way round perspective of knowing the one we follow and worship and we sing about. Not because I'm caught in some sort of religious thinking that tells me I should be doing a whole lot of things. Prepare your minds for this battle. Paul says, I think there's a possibility that you've been deceived from this pure devotion. Think about that. Simplicity. It's deep, it's simple. Simple but deep. And this devotion, this, what is pure devotion? Look like. I think it's more than just here on a Sunday. We spend more time at times chasing the works of Christ rather than the worker himself. Many were attracted to his works, not so many his nature. You know what happens when you do these things when you don't really know the person? You actually start looking for a formula in which to do them. But when you know them, it's automatic. The more you know Christ, the more it's actually automatic. No one has to teach you how to disciple someone because you know it. It's like a baby knows that it needs its mother's milk. You don't teach that, it just does it. It's like my kids. They know that their mother is the nurturer and their, their father is the protector. I've seen that outwork in front of me. When I remember Madeline once ran past me when she hurt herself to mum. And about a day later, when she was afraid, she called for dad, although mum was there. That is natural, innate, authentic. That is what it's look like for us to follow the Christ. The more you know him, you will flow. It's an outworking of knowing him. You don't chase healing. It actually parts sort of in you because you know him. Does that make sense? It's like breathing. We don't have a relationship with a set of rules or guidelines. It's with a person. And the enemy's going to come and he's going to try and mess us up. And I think he's doing a pretty good job on a whole of the church. So 
It's 19 minutes and I'm only on page two. <laughs> you got a while? Okay. Here's just three things. I want to focus on one. The first thing, the question, I'm ahead of myself, is this. How does the enemy attack our minds and cause this confusion and division? Number one, he has us believing that what we know is all there is to know. So he has us believing that what we know is all there is to know. Okay? The second thing, he plants seeds of doubt to cause double-mindedness. And he comes to tempt you with the promises of riches, this isn't on there, but to distract you from wholehearted devotion to God. He came to Christ and said, you know what, I can give you all these things if you'll follow me. And he comes and he says, you know what, go after that thing. The grass is greener over there. That marriage, flag the one you've got, go after that one. It's greener over there. She'll love you like this one won't. This, this, this thing over here, this opportunity over here. Oh, you can go and you can earn this much money if you go there. He comes. He's crafty. He's the most crafty serpent. But today I want to focus on number one, which is he has us believing that what we know is all there is to know. So I have another question for us, and the question is this. Are we still teachable despite our knowledge? Am I still teachable despite what I know or what I think I know? Am I open to being grown? Or have I got my theology locked down in a box where I'm comfortable? And I mentioned this last week because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, he says this, that if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to. That's interesting, isn't it? And there's real tension in this. Because are you going to try and deceive me or tell me that Jesus isn't the Son of God? No, I know that to be true. Why? Because I've had a revelation of that. It's not built on a, it's built on a revelation of that. Is, is, is there a Father, Son and a Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. There's not another part of that equation. So there are things that we are to know through revelation of the Spirit that are locked down. But as our whole theology sort of like that because my experience has been, once again, up until two years ago, I would have said a whole lot of things and believed them until God went like this. Whew. You know how much you feel? like a dummy. Ooh, uh, I think I said the opposite of that about a year ago. So you hope no one believed that. That's why we've got to have grace. We're all human, imperfect human beings trying to do this thing called discipleship. You know, that's why we need one another. That's why we need to walk together. Can we actually have a community that's not about right and wrong, it's about love, grace, the contending for truth, and together that love empowers us, you know what, to walk together that our understanding would come to a fullness of the Holy Spirit God has for us. That's why he patterned discipleship. It's not an option, it's the option. And Paul says, you know, if you, if you think you've got it all down pat, you don't yet know as you ought to. I love this saying, I've said it many times, it's not what you don't know that hinders you sometimes, it can be what you think you know that gets in your way. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus answers and said to them, you're mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. And we've talked about that just before. I mean, just their response. How would you feel? 
You're a doctor of medicine. You are the cream of the cream in your field. You've gone to every conference. You've got accolades. You've got more numbers on your name than anyone else. And someone comes and says, you know what, there's part of it that you're wrong. It's huge, isn't it? This is the situation right here. That's why the response, I'm going to read this to you. You see, the Sadducees and the Pharisees thought that the more knowledge they acquired through the study of the Scriptures, the more they would know God. Okay? Know Him intimately. And His truth. So they, they thought they would know God and His truth and understand His ways. And there is a limited measure of truth to this, but it is very limited and left unchecked, can lead you to a place of pride, arrogance, blindness, and a hardened heart. And this is the knowledge that the Bible says will puff you up and make you arrogant and ineffective in his kingdom. Because when God comes to us with a greater depth of truth that doesn't fit into our nice, neat little box of theology, we will either do a number of things. Number one, we will defend our position and attempt to shut down what is being said and walk away. And that, my friends, is the pharisaical spirit. This is what Jesus was engaged with here. Not a person, a spirit. It's not about, my battle's not here. It's in the spirit. The pharisaical spirit's a blind spirit. What did they do? They ended up nailing the guy to the cross. That's how much they defended their, their position. Why? Loss of control, loss of fear, loss of acknowledgement by the crowd. What's more important? That or you being in the fullness of Jesus' truth and his presence. Second thing, we will justify ourselves by making it all about the person so we don't have to contend for what is being said. You see, if they could make it about Jesus, they don't have to worry about what Jesus is saying. If I can wrap it all on the person, then I can make that an excuse. I can just, oh, you know, I don't have to just Simon English. He's having a bit of a trip at the moment. You make it all about Simon English, what does that mean? I don't have to contend what's coming out of Simon English's mouth. That's why you never judge the person speaking. Listen to what they're saying. You can miss stuff because you're too hung up on, oh, look, he thinks he's this, or he thinks he's that, or he's got funny shoes, or he's got this, or his hairstyle looks like this, or he doesn't have any hair, or whatever. <laughs> he wears a big, fat whatever, you know, I just don't know. Now, there could be realities and truth all in that, but we want to justify ourselves by making it all about the person. And they did this. When Jesus healed, what they say? You heal by the spirit of Beelzebub. He's like, that's a house divided, Muppet. But they make it about something else. So they don't have to contend with what Jesus just did. And is this man telling the truth? And the third thing, and this is what I would say a lot of us do, is we rationalise it away in our thinking so we can remain comfortable and secure and not have to change in what we think we know. I don't understand that, so I'm going to just sweep it under the carpet. Well, I can go back to being uncomfortable. That was a bit scary for a minute. 
Oh, gee, that feels better. Get me a beer. What did they do? Acts. Power move of the Holy Spirit. People go into a room, they come out, there's fire tongues and they're speaking in tongue, which is languages. People could hear their own languages spoken. What's going on, man? What's this? God just rocked up. No, they're on the turps. Had a few too many heinies. It's all good. Let's settle it down. We got a little bit scary there for a minute, didn't we? Cool. We we're going to have to change. There's another reality that's invaded earth. Let's shut it down. And let's blame it on the rum and coke. Oh, gee, that's good. Go back to life. We feed on the scriptures and fill ourselves up on the scriptures like the Pharisees, Sadducees did. Sorry. When we feed on the scriptures and fill ourselves up on the scriptures like the Pharisees and Sadducees did without the infusion, illumination of the Spirit, all we are doing is filling ourselves with counterfeit understanding which not only puffs us up, causing us to be arrogant, full of pride, blinding us, and our enemy will use this to deceive us into thinking we actually have true biblical knowledge and understanding that we don't. And this is the enemy's exact intention. Isn't it powerful? The power of deception is you don't even know you're deceived. They didn't passionately go, oh, let's get deceived and now we're going to fight him. They didn't realize they were. So what's the answer to that? You must walk with a humble heart and a humble spirit. That's why the people that go on fire for God are the broken people. They've been broken down. Their will, their thinking has been broken down, smashed, coming to a place of repentance. We have to live a life of repentance. Not, you know what, I'm doing this or doing that again. Father, I don't think like you. I don't act like you. I'm on a process of coming into this and I want more of you. Help me, Father. Help me to see as you see. I repent of my blindness. I repent of my stinking thinking. I repent of my attitudes. And you know what happens as you seek that? As you realize you're blinded to a full measure and you enter a process of brokenness because of the blindedness and you repent and you turn to him and you say, show me a greater reality. I seek you with all my heart that I would know things that I don't yet know that I wouldn't rest on these things of the past, but it's a new day. Revelation comes. And you look back and, you, and that revelation starts to change you. It's intimacy with Him. It can only be done through intimacy with the Father. And you know Him at a level that it's so hard to articulate, but it's so transforming and you can't contain it. That's the true process of seeking and receiving true biblical truth. When it's not just a little nugget, it's a flipping meal in front of you. And it's like, man, I'm dieting on this. Break me down more. Give me more. I want to seek you more. Intimacy. Because there's so much confusion in the church, isn't there? What do you believe? Are apostles around today? Are they not? Is the Holy Spirit around today? Is it not? Is there multiple ways about the rapture? Is there one? I mean, I don't know about you, but imagine a non-Christian coming in, looking and going, flipping heck. There's about 20 different beliefs in this thing. 
Now I say this with grace and love. Hear my heart. I don't think when baptisms became part of our faith that God intended a whole movement to be started. I say that in love. I don't believe that to be... I don't believe there should be any denominations. The Bible tells me one. One mind, spirit, purpose, love. I can't read anything about the Baptist movement, the Pentecost. What's a Pentecostal movement? Some people got baptised in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's for every single person in the church. It's not a movement. We lay it on a Pentecost. Oh, really? What does that mean? I'm an evangelical. Once again, Grace, I'm a Catholic. I'm an Anglican. I'm a, what on earth are you talking about? Trust me, from someone who came in not being religious, what is this? I met Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. I'm a Christian, follower of you. And because of that, I'm living the lifestyle. I'm not a label. I don't associate with a label. I had someone say to me, you're men more Pentecostal than I am. Tell me, what does that mean? I sing. And you don't. I'd say that's just our personality differences. I have a love of music. Music fills me. I want to move. I want to dance. I'm in love with him. I don't just do it here. I do it at football games. He'll tell you. I rolled my ankle. We were so excited when England scored the first goal in the World Cup. I rolled my ankle. I'm lying on the floor because I'm hugging Simon and going, Woo-hoo-hoo! Sorry. One, my people, will be one as we are one. Why isn't that the case? Because this thing and our will and our want, we want to be God, we want to build the church. It's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And you have all these expressions and the enemy looks back and he laughs his head off. Look what I've got them doing. But those who have ears to hear will find truth. In amongst all that chaos, if you have a spirit if you have a heart, if you know the Christ or you want to know more, you will come to the truth. Him, the person. Not religion, not a set of rules. The person. And there is a battle and a fight and it's huge. And we have an enemy that wants to stop that being your reality. And together, we must walk as a community together to walk into this fullness because we do not have all the answers. There is five gifts that build the church, not one. I need to go more to the gym, I'm knackered. <laughs> so I shouldn't probably said that. But. The Bible teaches that the church isn't built on how much you think you know, but on your revelation of a person. Jesus said, on the revelation of the Christ, I will build my church. And that is not something that is given from flesh or blood, meaning the intellect and the acquiring of knowledge, but from heaven itself. It's not something we can acquire through our own strength, our own giftedness, or our own ability. It's a supernatural act of the Spirit. The enemy has the church so bamboozled today in what it believes and what its focus is to be because we seek to understand God and His ways from a human intellect, 
the human mind and not from intimacy with the Father where he reveals things to our spirit man which causes the renewing of the mind so we are able to come into a greater reality of him. Our purpose is not to know about him but to know him. And what I described to you before, remember this, it's the um, two B's and two R's. Blindness, brokenness, repentance, revelation. What happened to Paul? Think about Paul. He's an example in the Bible for us to see the process. The guy thinks he's all that. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew, from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm literally the man, if you didn't know it, so I'm going to tell you. He has an encounter where literally Jesus turns up and just rips down scales and he sees and look at the transformation of the attitude, the compelling of him called. Why? Because not because of what he knew. That was second. That added to the power. That wasn't the first thing. I think a lot of us think because he has this revelation, oh, it was all the information he'd stored. No. He met the person. He met Jesus Christ, the spirit man in the flesh. Boom! You know things. I say this with humility, okay? And I don't say this with arrogance. You can know things that you've never read when you meet him. It was freaky. Telling people stuff and they go, that's in the Bible. And you go, is it really? I've never read the Bible. But the encounter with the cross, you can know stuff because you know him. You know the person. No different to me knowing my wife in an intimacy that you'll never know. I can tell you things about my wife that you'll never know, even though you see her week in, week out. You may be doing life with her, but I'll tell you things that you won't know about her. All good things. <laughs> you can know things about Jesus that you've never read in your heart and your spirit because of revelation. Do you know the person? Because we are built on the person. The revelation, the peeling back of the person. God gives us this incredible book to help us on that journey. But as I've said, we must read this book with the infusion and the illumination of the Scriptures. Otherwise, you just become a religious bigot. You become a Pharisee. And I'm sick and tired of religion. I'm sick and tired of religious people. They're giving the church such a bad rap. I don't think being here is boring at all. You know, people do. Why? Because you probably haven't had a revelation of the Christ. You're caught up in processes and steps and methodology and stuff. And you need to seek Him and say, you know what? I need, we all need an individual revelation of the Christ. I can't back it off my parents. I can't back it off my wife. I need it for me. He needs to be living in me. And the only way that can happen is if I seek Him with an honest, humble heart. And ask and wait for his timing. But I'm convinced, convicted that what God says happens, happens when he sees a heart that's hungry. He promises it. But you've got somebody who's going to try and prevent you from getting to that place. He'll come with people in your life. He'll send your thoughts. He'll create things to stop a wholehearted, hungry follower of Jesus. And it's not just for the now, it's for 
the future. I put here, it's sad that many followers appear to. Once again, I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about the rock on a whole, but I'm sure we're, we're infected with this. Have a relationship with a set of rules rather than a person because we spend more time focusing on the what rather than the who. So much of our Christian faith in the Western church has become just an intellectual academic exercise when it's to be about a spiritual transformational experience of faith in a person called Jesus Christ. He didn't say, tell me how much you know. He said, who do the people say that I am? It's fascinating to me when Jesus wants to reveal or teaches a greater level of depth of truth in John. What do some of the disciples do in John 6? Your teaching is now too hard. They are disciples of Jesus. Your teaching is outside of my paradigm. It's now gone to a level that I don't have sight or understanding of. And it's now too hard. So you know what we're going to do with this too hard? And I'm going to stay over here where I'm comfortable. Oh, gee, that gee, that was a bit scary for a while, wasn't it? Some of that stuff he talked about, of you know, eating your flesh, drinking your blood. Do you know what he's talking about? Nah, sounded pretty freaky though. Oh, okay, let's stay over here. It's all calm. It's calm down. It's cool. We're all good. Yep. Meanwhile, Jesus and his disciples are going that way. Come follow me. No, we're going to stay right over here. Safer over here. Tree's gone. It's good. <laughs> Warmer over here. That requires faith. That requires me journeying into the unknown over that side. Gee, I think that's what we're called to do. Come follow me and I want to lead you into all the truth. So what does he do? He turns around and he says to his disciples, I love this. Are you going to go? How many people walked away? I don't know. But he looks to his intimate level. Are you now going? Again, he presents the question. Are you going to go? And Peter's words are the words you want to hold on to. Who can tell me what he says? Doesn't matter what we go through. Doesn't matter how hard it gets. Doesn't matter if they're going to smash me and nail me to a cross like you. One day turn me upside down. Doesn't matter what I've got to go through. It's all a waste of time walking away from you because you hold all the answers. You see it. You are it. You manifest it. You are truth and the fullness. And he said, it's my way, my truth, my life. There is only one to me and it's me. They knew, Peter knew who he was. Why? Not through his own observation. Thank you. What did the Bible say in Matthew? Who do people say I am? John. Who does he say is? You are the Christ. How do you know that? Because it didn't come from flesh and blood. Because it came from a revelation from the Father. You can know a whole lot of stuff. But when the rubber hits the road, 
when the pressure comes on, it'll be your revelation of the Christ that'll make you choose him. Not your theology, not how much you know, how many scriptures you can quote. Now hear me again. That stuff living, absolutely. That stuff alive, transform me, absolutely. That stuff just filling my head with pure information and knowledge that's making me think I'm all that is not what I want. And you know what? When external pressure comes, we really get to see who knows the Christ and who just has a whole lot of biblical rubbish stuffed in their head. And there is stuff coming, guys, I'm telling you. That's why God's got us looking at knowing him, loving others, walking together, the bride of Christ. There's stuff coming that is going to test your faith. And it will be the revelation of the Christ that will determine whether you will get swept away or up or stand and be a pillar that reflects the glory of God. I can't say that anymore. You've got to capture this. Seek him like you've never sought him. Seek him with all your heart. Ask him. If you do not have a passion for it, ask him passionately. Even if you have to start in discipline and hard work, go there and say, Father, break me, show me, give me this thing. I never had a passion for his word, meaning to read the Bible. I had to ask him for it and seek him for it. And I can't tell you when it was, and it wasn't straight away, but over a period of a year, I woke up and I had a hunger that's never left me. Never left me. I go to bed with it. I wake up with it. It's possible for all of us. You can have an ongoing hunger that doesn't leave you for Him. You can experience power from on high that you wake up with every single day and go to bed with that never leaves you. It's not for special people. It's not for those in ministry that call themselves pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers. It's for you and you alone and me. And it can be your reality. He gave us the commission to go into the world. He said to the disciples, if you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit, which is an experience, and you'll know it's happened, you will not last five minutes. So he says, go and wait. It's interesting. Go read in Acts. They were of one mind, praying earnestly, one mind. And you know why they were so powerful? You know why the early church, and they had issues and different things, but you know why they were so powerful? Because they experienced the same thing in that room. There wasn't like people, intellectuals standing outside of it going, well, my theology says this. No, no, you didn't, that didn't happen. 120 people experienced a power injection from heaven which reshaped the world at the time. And because we base so much of that on, we thought, oh, experience is scary. Well, it can be. You've got to walk in that tension. But I'm sure God doesn't want you living a theorized life. He wants you to experience the Christian life. Real hope, joy. Not just reading about it, not looking at someone else beside you. And once again, we've got an enemy that comes to rob, steal and kill us. Take us out. He doesn't want Christians running around like that. Peter had living knowledge. You see, when it's not how much knowledge you have on the scriptures that keep you following Jesus, when it all gets too hard, or when he wants you to change or die more to yourself, it's how well you know him. These other men may have had more knowledge of the scriptures, but Peter had received a revelation of who Jesus was. Our entire relationship with Jesus will depend on our revelation of who he is. Who do the people say 
that I am. The Apostle Paul teaches in Philippians 1.9, which is up there, he says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. In 2 Peter 1, he talks about having the true knowledge of Christ. You might be asking, what on earth is the difference between real and true knowledge and knowledge? I believe it's this. True or real knowledge, what I call biblical understanding, leads you to a greater depth of relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ. He basically preaches that um, in the scripture I didn't read out to you. Where is it gone? John 5.39. Somewhere here. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Listen to this. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. You see, if you're going to study the scriptures, it's got to produce more love. If you are living in the living word, it produces love. Mercy, it produces change, transformation. If you know this book and it's not doing those things, I'm going to suggest to you that you just have information. It's not leading you into an understanding of the, of the sun. So, here we go, I'll read it again. True or real knowledge, biblical knowledge, leads you to a greater depth of relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ, where the knowledge you are receiving is transforming you into his image both internally and externally, causing you to live and love like Christ, while false knowledge puffs you up, makes you prideful and arrogant, turning you into a Pharisee. The world loves to worship this kind of intellectual knowledge and esteem it and place it on a pedestal and make an idol out of it. And you know what? Because the world lives within us, we do exactly the same We make teaching an idol. We make worship. Now, worship's a lifestyle. We make this an idol. You know how many people that I hear say, I love the music. The reason I come is because of the music. Well, what happens one day when the music's gone? When Clay's sick and all his team's sick and they're sick for a year? What happens when God says, you know, this thing has become so big in the hearts of my people. I'm just going to speak to every leader and say, put it out the back. You know they did that in England? Matt Redman's church. The worship had become such an idol that Matt Redman, who we know as this anointed worship leader, got up and said, you know what? Pastor, I think he'd even been affected with it, hadn't he? And the pastor said, we're not doing music here until the Spirit of God comes back into the house. Because we've worshipped this. I think it was for four months. And all the people that think the music too loud here going, Hey, yeah, let's give it that. Come <laughs> into that. Bring back the hymns, brother. <laughs> no, even that's idol worship. I'm here because of him. I turn up every day because of him. I love being with you guys. I love worshipping. I love music. But it's about him. And it's always going to be about Him. And my revelation of Him will determine my choices, my lifestyle, 
what I'll do with the will of my life that he has for all of us. It'll determine my love for people. You see, the world loves and aspires. Whoa, look at that, that person. Because you know what knowledge does, eh? Brings power. If you're knowledgeable, you've got power. That feeds our selfishness. Oh, I can manipulate this situation. I can manipulate that. I can make this for me. I can do that because I actually have knowledge. Knowledge in the sense of idolatry, knowledge. Have you ever asked yourself why there are so many different expressions in this thing called Christianity, which I talked about before? It's because he is believing that what we know is all there is to know. So we set up a tent and we pitch a tent and we get a whole lot of people coming to our tent when the tent was a marker on the process of truth. And because the church, Jesus said, I wish they were one. I pray, in fact, he said, that they were one as you and I are one. I pray that they'll have one spirit, one purpose, one mind. Paul said, make my joy complete. That man was fighting Hordes of demons trying to bring truth to the church. In-house. You know what? The church called him a deceiver. The church. Go read it. The church. He said, they call me a deceiver. Some here, some call me a deceiver. Basically says, some, some call me a deceiver, some call I'm not. Some I'm the real thing, some are not. I think it's in one or two Corinthians. This is a battle. So who determines what truth is or not? He does. How do we discover truth? Well, this is how Jesus did it. He said, hey guys, stop your fishing. Let's go. And he took 12 men over a period of three years. Up, down, up, down. You know, Let's burn these guys. Who's the greatest? You know, when we, when we get up to there, can I be at the right hand? Or was it the mother that asked that? Let's walk this thing together. And the Master discipled the twelve who got filled with the Holy Spirit. Why am I saying this, guys? Life groups are going to be the key this year. The environment of walking together is the option. It's not an option. It's the option. It's what he patterned. And as we walk together, and as there is a variety of gifts and hearts and understanding and revelation within that group of 8, 6, 12. You know what happens? The Spirit of God comes on that thing and we all start in love, start transforming and we walk together and we come into a fullness of truth together. We see things you never thought were possible. You see things in your heart because the kingdom of God's in your heart, sight's in your heart, not in your, not in your eyes and your renewed mind now perceives like the Father. Four months more, I say now. It's all there. How on earth do some men say, no, it's not ready, it's four months more, yet the God of the universe is going, it's now. You ever ask yourself that? Stop and look at the script. Yeah, because man knows it all. We've just seen that you tried to burn villages down and, and here I am and I'm giving you this, but outside of their paradigm. Is the pattern unfolding? Can you see it? And the only way is to seek him. Seek him. This year. Today, 
Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to seek him and to reveal, have a revelation that's so powerful, you'll come screaming through that doors, jumping. Go hang out with Jeremy for a little bit. The guys received a revelation of God that is transforming them. It's so actually overwhelming that it actually has scared some people off. It's like, it's for them, meaning what he's come into is for all of us. But how do we view it? Do we want it? Now God is so passionate and so gracious and he allows you to sit, doesn't he? But you know what? It's not his number one position for you. He loves you so much that he'll allow you to sit there. But man, he wants so much. And once again, we've got an enemy. I think that's enough. eh? Remember, our understanding and mindsets are being or to be defined by our revelation of the Christ. I want to encourage us all this year to seek a deeper relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.